Hey everyone, this is Flip and Finance. I'm Sam Mismore and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is February 7th, 2023, and we are covering one of the common mistakes I see in financial planning. Before we get into that, let's kick the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. We are lazy, so we have no duty to revise any of this information. With that, how are you, Fabian? I'm doing pretty good. A little tired. Uh, got my butt kicked in a, in a workout this morning, but that's not what this show's about. What I'm like, I'm actually really excited because we've been waiting. For this moment, uh, a listener question. Someone has finally asked us. Well, no, that that's not true. You've gotten some stuff on social media, um, but we've got a listener question. Is the point, and that's what I'm excited about. So, uh, dive into that. What what is the question that we got? Yeah, and this is kind of timely because the Federal Reserve met last week, so they had their first meeting of 2023, and the listener question was. Why does the Federal Reserve want higher unemployment when businesses can barely find workers? So that's kind of what I would call the dichotomy of of the Federal Reserve. And if you go back and read or watch the press conference that Jerome Powell, who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve, gave last week, his whole thing is he has to manage what's called the dual mandate that is given to him by Congress. So that is to keep inflation under control, roughly around 2%. And also keep the American economy near full employment. Now, the funny thing to me is like both of those are kind of social constructs in a way. The 2% inflation number is literally just made up. It just sounds kind of good. There's like no statistical proof that like 2% is good. But the 2% inflation is just totally made up. And then what's, what's full unemployment or excuse me, what's full employment? You know, no one is 100% sure. Uh, where the best full employment is. everyone It's just a guess uh, at the at the end of the day. But circling back to the, the actual question, so the Federal Reserve's kind of view of the world is that wage growth drives inflation higher. So with there being not the same amount of, of, there's tons of job openings, wage growth is growing too fast, that creates this flywheel effect of, of more money in the system, faster economic growth, more inflation. So they're afraid of this like flywheel effect of wage growth continuing to continue to grow, which feeds into the economy, which feeds into inflation, which feeds into wage growth. So they're really worried about this like vicious cycle of, of that. And it's, I it's bungled that explanation. No, no. But I, I think okay. kind of where I want to dive in a little bit deeper is, is rooted in the question, is there like a misnomer where it kind of looks like there's so many jobs that need to be filled or is that actually true? Like, I think the, the obvious example would be like food and beverage industry, right? Where, for example, the, not that I frequent this establishment, but the B-dubs right down the road, the Buffalo Wild Wings right down the road, like on our neighborhood Facebook page, people are just like, avoid this at all costs. There's two servers on staff, terrible service. Sure. 
right? So like prime example of like, I'm going to use this anecdote to fuel the question of, hey, there's nobody filling these jobs, right? So is that actually yeah. the case? I, I think it is the case. So I, I think it, I think it's both. Um, trying to unpack it a little bit there there's a couple of measures and this isn't an article this off top of my head there's like two or three measures of job openings and you can kind of like poke a little hole on, on the big number it's like it's around like 10 million job openings that's arguably probably a little too high because of the low cost of, of posting a job uh, opening but there's there's other measures like linkedin has a measure and there's a couple of recruiting um, surveys that i've seen but job openings are definitely higher than they were pre-covid and at the same time, so job openings are higher there. At the same time, the other issue is we've lost, like call it three, three and a half million workers in the economy, a lot to retirement. Some people are just like, bunk this, I'm out. Maybe I'll come work part-time later. Uh, a lot of it was sadly COVID deaths. And then on top of that, immigration. So those three factors have led to like a big gap in the labor market of roughly three, 3.5 million workers. And that, that shows up in the B-dub server, because if you're missing higher paid, higher paid working jobs, those people that w- would be like servers and other things are probably working those. So that's where it really shows up. And that kind of gets back to like, why would the Fed want higher unemployment when they can barely find workers? And the, the Fed actually acknowledges that those numbers I pulled are from the Federal Reserve comments uh, that I, I didn't just pull up out of, out of my butt. So they're aware that we're missing a lot of workers, but they're they're it, they're kind of weighing. They see things as like a teeter tot in a way. Right now, inflation is like a bigger concern for them than the economy not being able to find workers. And they only have like one blunt tool, and that's to raise interest rates to affect economic policy. And that's the only tool they have. So that's what they're using right now. And it's odd because we're slightly in this Goldilocks zone of. Unemployment is actually at 3.5% based on last month's unemployment and inflation is coming down while interest rates are going up. So it's kind of like this Goldilocks effect. It'll be, I have no idea what will happen this year, but it seems to be solving itself as of this recording. Hmm. Interesting. Well, good question. Nonetheless, um, keep sending them, right? Yeah, definitely. Always, we're always trying to look for and answer any questions. And then diving into the the main topic for today, it's just one of the most common mistakes I see in in financial planning. So, as this being my profession, I see a lot of different situations, and the the biggest mistake I see is just not sitting down and trying to figure out where you want to go. So, I actually saw a tweet, and I've had. Uh, other actual interactions with people in this type of situation. But in the show notes, there's a front page Wall Street Journal article that just says 25-year-old day trader Omar amassed $1.5 million during the stock market boom and lost it all in 2022. So I've actually met and talked with a couple crypto millionaires and people that have traded Tesla and have made tons of money tons of money. But the issue I've seen is nobody ever sat down and just said, what's enough for me to accomplish my goals? Now, if I came to you, Fabian, I was like, hey, I've got this highly speculative strategy. You're going to make $1.5 million. You'd be ecstatic, I would guess. Thousand percent. Yes. I'd be over the moon. And yeah, but at the same time, 
if you went into that with the goal, like, okay, if I make a million, <laughs> that's a lot of money. If I make a million, I can accomplish all seven of the financial goals I want to do type of thing. You, you'd probably stop. You would at least change your strategy, your investment strategy uh, over time if you had the end goal in mind before you took off and, and did this strategy, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and that, and that kind of comes back to the, the biggest issue I see is not just sitting down and thinking about where you want to end up type of thing. So a great example is like when I'm at a cocktail party or you and I went to the, the Riley fundraiser this weekend, invariably someone would be like, Oh, you're a financial advisor. What's your like best stock tip that you have? And my thing is like, I don't, that's not what I do. People just like fundamentally misunderstand kind of my role in, in all of this. And if we, if we go back to like the, the plane analogy that I've, that I've used before, you've seen Top Gun Maverick, right? Oh yeah. Right. Okay. So this isn't a spoiler. If you haven't seen it by now, it's your fault. You should have seen it in theaters, but at the very beginning scene, Maverick, his whole goal, I think is to get to like Mach 10 or whatever, right? It's like, mock infinity with with the plane right and his goal is to get there and he finally he breaks the barrier or whatever everyone's clapping and then instead of like that was the goal and like de-throttling down and kind of descending he accomplished it with who what does he do he just like keeps pressing on the gas type of thing and eventually push it blows to up. the limit yeah <laughs> and like let's i don't know how someone like survives going mach 10 and just like kind of parachutes down but you know whatever it's a movie but like financially, financially, if somebody does that, you know, they're going to blow up, like blow up spectacularly. You're not just going to parachute down and have like a nice little water at a deli uh, later on. You know, there's a lot of wreckage to, to pick up that kind of just gets like sidestepped there. So what I see, and there's a little little kind of marked up thing in, in the show notes of like financial plan of where you are, your goals, actions. And then executing on the plan as a financial advisor and planner, I spend a ton of time just focusing, getting razor sharp on the goals we want to accomplish short term and long term. And then how are we executing on that plan? Monthly check ins, rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, um, annual planning items like Roth conversions. Can we be saving taxes in other ways? So executing on that plan rather than how fast can this financial plan go? How fast can Tom Cruise go uh, in this in this analogy type of thing. So like that's the biggest mistake I see is just where do you want to go? How are you going to get there? And then just looking at it repeatedly and iterating. Well, to to kind of go back to the original point of, of what you were saying uh, in this instance to focus on actually having the plan, right? And l- let's say you're this crypto millionaire who made $1.5 million, right? You're let's kind of extrapolate that and say you're in Vegas, you're up one and a half million dollars. When are you going to pull your chips in and go home and go to sleep? Right. And I think that exactly. maybe that's part of the plan where you're stepping in and saying, Hey, as part of these goals, you need to know when to step away. Right. Like you, you need to have a marker possibly of when enough is enough and you kind of rebalance and then you, you try and do it all over again. Right. hundred percent. So I'll, I'll use a, a real world example that happened to me, a friend of a friend, connected me with this uh, Cordano millionaire. So Cordano was one of the smaller cryptocurrencies that went bonanza like all the rest of them. And he had roughly over $3 million in Cordano. 
type of thing. And I was just having a conversation with him is over the phone. And I just simply asked, what are your goals? What, what, what do you, what would change your life to help you kind of do whatever you want? And what that person said was, I want to buy a house for my mom. It's roughly $400,000. And then I want to buy myself a home, roughly $400,000. And then I want to do XYZ for $200,000. So I was like, okay, you can accomplish effectively all your goals for a million dollars, right? Yeah. And that would, let's, let's ignore taxes for a minute. And okay. All you have to do is sell a third of your Cardano. I'll help you with the taxes and we can uh, get the mortgage. You don't have to put the $400,000 down, but we can get the mortgage. Rates are really good right now. We can figure out what to do for your, your living situation too. And the $200,000 to help out family type of thing. And he just couldn't do it. He couldn't pull the, he, he had all of his goals accomplished that he wanted to do. You could have a little bit of money in the bank too. And then you would still have two $1.5 million in Cordano to go to a bajillion. I personally think $2 million in any position is, is plenty uh, of, of exposure, especially something that's, you know, highly volatile, like a cryptocurrency. And, his whole thing was like, no, I think this is going to hire. I I think I'm going to be worth 20 million. And I just asked him, how is your life different if Cordano goes back down and it's worth 300,000 versus your life with Cordano being worth 20 million versus now? So me, it's like kind of like the Delta of locking in what you can accomplish versus where, where you could be in a way. So like the downside in that situation was so much worse than the upside in my way, because if you can accomplish all your goals, have some money in the bank and you're still 30, that's, that's a great runway. Whereas if it goes the opposite way, your life's totally different. And yeah. some people have taken that, some people have taken that advice and, and others haven't. Well, and it's a sage piece of advice, right? It's like one of the oldest pieces of advice. Let's talk about a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Like take the bird in the hand, you have it, which essentially this person had. Yeah. Except they wanted 20 million birds. That's too so. many birds in one bush, bro. You got, you got to take what's That's, in your hand. You know, you know, uh, yeah. But how, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you, hand, well, obviously this situation didn't pan out, but how do you handle that to where it's a balance of people feeling like they're taking advantage of the position that they're in, but also being smart without that kind of huge yeah. loss, that potential yeah. loss, it, I, I should say. Yeah, it, it's literally the this, this same type of conversation, but maybe I, I land it a little, a little bit more eloquently because other people have followed that advice and their life is just totally different than it, it would have been given uh, the correction in some of these assets. So uh, I ha- I've had a couple of clients that have, that have sold out. Um, I know it's boring, but have diversified and then their life is just totally different um, than, it, than it would be otherwise. Yeah. So there's no, there's no magic bullet. Some, sometimes you just have these conversations like me personally, I would probably never ride one position up to $2 million, but that's, I think that's like the negative to my professional training in a way is I wouldn't take that amount of concentration risk in, in one asset, whereas other people would. And I'll probably never have the issue of having like a $5 million <laughs> investment <laughs> you know, run up because like, I had a little bit in Solana, but like I sold it (laughs) like as soon as it like tripled, I was like, well, this is great. My goal was to like make some money on this and I did it. 
and I got out of it. So I should have been talking to you at some point last year about this. <laughs> it's fine. It's Topic fine. for a different episode. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other burning questions before we wrap up today? I, I don't. I think this is a good one. I like, I like, uh, I like when listeners submit questions, um, whether we answer them to the fullest capacity, at least on my end to be determined. And then we have, we have another uh, question from a friend that we're hope, hopefully we'll get to next week. And that's like, how do you actually go and buy an ETF? So don't go do it because we said so, but you know, we'll walk through hopefully step by step how to like go buy uh, an ETF, S&P 500 or something like that. So the Love audience it. asks and we aim, we aim to please. So with that, um, subscribe, share, rate the podcast. Uh, feel free to reach out with questions and we appreciate you listening. Bye.